Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Bowman, the host of Side Door, a podcast with candid conversations with world-class entrepreneurs. Because uh, at the beginning, I, I thought that, okay, what if I make this uh, report and I, I like send it to um, my boss, basically, and then like my boss can propose this as some kind of uh, program for the government so that the government could uh, basically build build some kind of uh, platform or make some policy to help these farmers. But um, yeah, at that time, I think the response was very slow. And at that time, you know, I already built the relationship with the farmers uh, that I was interviewing, and I kept on thinking about them. Uh, you know, when I came, when I arrived back in Japan, I kept thinking about these farmers. So that's why I thought that okay, maybe um, I'll just make something. You know, make a website for them to um, to introduce their uh, their produce. When I first came to Indonesia five years ago, the areas where investors were making the big bets were media, e-commerce, and fintech. In my opinion, those were the three primary areas where a lot of the money was flowing to. Today, the next frontier of investing in Indonesia is around digitizing existing businesses and simplifying complex ecosystems. We saw that last week with Ula and their marketplace to make B2B retail buying easier. This week is another example of an Indonesian startup that's adding tech to a traditionally non-technical business and removing unnecessary friction. Today, I'm speaking with TannyHub co-founder and president, Pamitra Wineka, otherwise known as Eka. TannyHub is on a mission to help Indonesian farmers get more reliable and higher income from each of their harvests. They do this through three core business units, TannyHub Marketplace, TannyHub Lending, and TannyHub Logistics. Despite being a relatively young company in an extremely unsexy space, Tannyhub has raised tens of millions of dollars in venture capital, with more on the way. In a short amount of time, they've demonstrated that the farming industry can be streamlined and be more fruitful for the hard-working farmers of Indonesia. For those of you unaware, I grew up in Wisconsin, nicknamed the Dairy State, and it's known for its farmlands. I don't know much about farming despite growing up in Wisconsin, so it was extremely fascinating to learn about Tannyhub its model, and how they've grown in a short amount of time. Eka seems like an accidental entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship wasn't a life goal or an ambition of his. To him, starting a company seemed like the most logical step to solve a problem he discovered while working at the World Bank. We start our conversation with Eka's aha moment at the World Bank and how that turned into building websites for a few farmers in Indonesia. Hi, Eka. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jesse. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for making the time. Uh, so you are the president and co-founder of TannyHub Group. Uh, can yes. you give the listeners a quick overview of what TannyHub is and its three businesses? So TannyHub is an agriculture e-commerce platform. So what TannyHub does is uh, it helps smallholder farmers, uh, which are actually like almost 93% of the entire like uh, farmer population in Indonesia. Uh, we help them get access to market because a typical uh, smallholder farmer can only probably access one or two different uh, middlemen. Um, our second uh, business unit is Tani Fund. So it's actually a peer-to-peer lending platform uh, specifically for uh, funding 
um, farmers and also SMEs in the in the Tani Hub ecosystem. Um, so it's a peer to peer lending. So we don't uh, do on balance sheet uh, lending, and we we typically do uh, don't collect collateral from the farmers, but we actually track them and track their reputation, or we do like our own kind of um, credit scoring by actually seeing their performance in Tiny Hub. So whether they're honest and like what's their typical um, uh, like harvest size. And uh, Tiny Supply, our last uh, business unit is Tiny Supply. So um, since we're handling mostly fresh produce uh, and these are very delicate, right? So a lot of these farmers, uh, even though they, they can produce a lot of really good products, good quality, but if they don't have proper handling, um, the, the customers always receive like uh, damaged goods. So since um, since this must be very specifically handled, so you can't actually send tomatoes uh, with uh, tiki or GNA, you know, because <laughs> it'll, it'll get damaged. So it need, needs a very pro uh, proper like cold chain system. And this is uh, why, you know, we established Tani, uh, Tani Supply to kind of handle this um, uh, fresh produce logistics and supply chain part. So altogether, uh, we, we are Tani Hub Group and we try to help the farmers uh, from end to end, from the farm up to the customer. Got it, right. So you, <clears throat> I think the original Tani Hub is uh, a marketplace that helps these farmers sell their produce, produce directly to uh, the consumers, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And your other two businesses are are helping them with that, with the uh, the funding and the logistics uh, for that kind of end marketplace uh, goal. Yes, exactly. Because uh, identifying a farmer and then like helping him, like contacting him and asking him to send uh, the goods to you uh, doesn't actually solve his problem like on market because uh, he can send it, but he might get damaged when you receive it. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is very interesting. And I'm, I want to dig into these three uh, areas in, in a moment. But, you know, take us back a moment. And what is your background? And, and how did you kind of end up uh, starting Tanning Hub? Yeah, so that's, um, that's actually a funny story. Because to be honest, I've never wanted to be uh, like a startup founder, I've never wanted to go into any kind of business. I've always uh, my family, you know, our tradition is more into like academics and uh, government. So I've always thought about myself as, okay, I just want to um, like study, uh, do a PhD. But then I, I felt like I needed more experience in the research uh, part. So I actually uh, worked in the World Bank first. And um, in the World Bank, you know, I was publishing papers and I was trying to um, like collect data on like what kind of uh, thesis topic I, I, I could do. And I, uh, one, one, one area that I was really interested in was uh, about uh, financial inclusion uh, in some kampongs, you know, in, in some rural areas in Java. And I wanted to basically ask the, the people who are running uh, co-ops or uh, microfinance institutions on like, how is you know how is business going like because Indonesia is probably is really uh, famous for you know being a very successful model on micro insurance uh, micro finance so a lot of like while I was at the World Bank a lot of uh, 
governments uh, from other countries came to Indonesia. They asked the World Bank to facilitate on kind of exchange, um, uh, like exchange learning on like uh, seeing like how can they um, develop like the micro finance kind of uh, sector in their country. So like, um, okay, I, I, I did my own uh, kind of research that I wanted to publish and also like uh, work on as my thesis uh, later on uh, in my PhD. And one, one kind of uh, find, one of the findings that I, that I uh, got was actually microfinance in Indonesia is mostly concentrated in like the trading side and on the productive side, um, like, you know, it wasn't actually doing so well. Actually, it was very difficult for, for example, like uh, farmers, uh, fishermen, and other producers to actually get uh, financing. And, um, you know, I, I kind of like asked them, like, why don't you uh, like lend to farmers? I asked the rural banks, I asked the local banks there, I asked the co-ops and also the microfinance institutions. And they all said that, you know, farmers, uh, fishermen, you know, they, they're like the most unreliable kind of customers. They're very high risk. It actually uh, made sense uh, since, you know, you know, there's always a uh, risk of weather and also risk of, um, yeah, basically pests and all that. But, but when I was talking, when I, I talked to the farmers and I made the calculations on like, okay, what is your cost of production compared to like uh, what the potential um, income uh, from the harvest is actually the, the ratio was was quite significant as in like for every dollar that they spend on production actually they're, they're they can sell it for like uh, $20 so it's actually uh, you know one to 20 and this should be able to cover the cost of uh, potential risk especially if there's uh, insurance but turns out that it's actually this is this assumption uh, this kind of calculation needed one important uh, assumption, which is like for every uh, every one kilogram of produce, it has to be sold uh, 100%. So that was that was actually the key there. So uh, the farmers could not uh, actually could not get like all of the, the harvest money that they, they should have earned because they couldn't sell the produce. And, um, and, you know, even if they can sell the produce, uh, they only have one or two buyers. And because they only have one or two buyers, like these buyers uh, have more power over the farmer. So they can actually ask the farmer, okay, I'll, I'll buy all of this, but for uh, $1.20 $1. Uh, per kilogram. So it's basically, uh, you know, they're, they're actually pre pressuring the farmer to, to, to sell it at a really, really cheap price. And the farmer has no options because the farmers don't have access to uh, information or access to market. And even if they do try to sell the, the produce by themselves, I, I've heard the farmer that tried to go, you know, to the wet markets uh, by himself or or go to like the close the nearest city. Um, you know, the, in the wet market, they already control. Uh, you know, there's there's people that control who can come in and who can. Um, uh, you know, basically sell their produce there. And if they go to like the, the local, um, like the local city, uh, the problem is that these farmers harvest in tons. Meanwhile, uh, you know, if they go to the local city, they, they go to a restaurant, the, the restaurants only buy in kilograms because uh, they don't need to buy um, like a whole bunch, uh, uh, even though it's cheaper. 
they'd rather buy it in, in like five kilograms or, or maximum 10 kilograms. And this has been like the, yeah, this is the, the biggest problem for the farmers because like then they have to go and knock uh, on the doors of like, let's say like 50 different uh, restaurants and not all of them also need um, like these produce and they need a, um, they actually prefer to be, to buy from uh, from like traders or from the market because they can buy in, in smaller quantities and they, they can buy it every day. So it's always fresh. So, so that's the biggest problem um, on, on, uh, for the farmers. So they couldn't, uh, they couldn't get the access to market. And that's why, uh, you know, and, and, and that's why they had to rely on these uh, uh, middlemen. And because of this, uh, you know, the, the price is very low. So they don't earn that much. And um, yeah, basically, uh, sometimes the middleman also, if the middleman, if the, um, the middleman is kind, they'll buy uh, above like the production price. But some there are sometimes that these middlemen actually uh, ask the farmer to sell at fifty cents per kilogram. So this is actually like fifty percent below uh, below like the the production price. And if the the farmer doesn't agree, the farmer uh, uh, the middleman just goes and the farmer is left alone and probably the produce are, are uh, they get spoiled. So yeah, that is, that is basically why these, you know, uh, these farmers are not really, you know, even though, even though they, they do most of the hard work, um, it's actually these middlemen and traders that actually get uh, the biggest cut from the, from the agriculture supply chain. Got it. So basically, you're working with a lot of small farmers, right? So there's, there's huge, you know, conglomerate type farms that are producing uh, mass quantities. And so then they have, they have their own built-in markets. Uh, but like uh, the rest or the, the people that you're working with, they can't, they can't even sell the quantities to uh, restaurants, right? So they're before Tanny Hub, they were just, rely on these these middlemen who are just gouging them even though that you said that there's basically a 20x uh, potential profit uh, with with their supply they were not seeing any of that if yeah exactly I, and, this, and this is 20x uh, uh, for every like three or four months uh, you know the, from every harvest cycle basically got it and and with produce there's a very limited window so they can't just sit back and and wait to negotiate right so there's time is not on their side yes exactly they have to sell uh, all their produce within three three to five days basically interesting so you you were working at the world um world bank you you saw saw these like kind of financial models and in, in the supply chain of of this uh farmer's market so then what made you kind of go from you know, you were saying that your family has like a more academic background. You thought you were going to be a PhD student, but now you're like, hey, these, these farmers are getting, you know, a bad deal. Uh, I, th I think I can help uh, and fix that. Yeah, because um, uh, at the beginning, I, I thought that, okay, what if I make this uh, report and I, I like send it to um, my boss, basically, and then like my boss can propose this as some kind of uh, program for the government so that the government could probably put more, um, you know, more care on it, you know, more, uh, and, and probably uh, basically build, build some kind of uh, platform or make some policy to help these farmers. But 
yeah at that time i think the uh, response was very slow and and you know like basically it's it's something that the government uh thinks that okay maybe we don't have the expertise in this and maybe you know like we we can just uh like let's see if the budget is approved and it might take one or two years and at that time you know i already built the relationship with the farmers uh, that i was interviewing and I kept on thinking about them, uh, you know, when I came, when I arrived back in Japan, I kept thinking about these farmers. So that's why I thought that, okay, maybe um, I'll just make something, you know, make a website for them to um, to introduce their, uh, their produce. I asked my friend to help me on make a, um, to make a website. Um, but then, you know, making a website for, let's say uh, five uh, groups of farmers was already kind of like, uh, frustrating, like managing uh, five uh, websites and teaching them about managing their own website was was a little bit difficult too. So uh, I actually uh, thought, you know, like, okay, there must be a better way. And then I, I met uh, another group of people, uh, young young people. They actually made the original Tani Hub platform. So you, so you didn't set out to start a marketplace. You you first wanted to help some farmers digitize uh, their process. So basically almost help them create like an online store so that they could sell directly to people. But then uh, and, and you just found out that like even five five of these websites was, was too difficult to manage. So then you kind of had the idea to turn this into uh, like a, a marketplace. Is that kind of like the evolution? Yes, yes, because I, I met I met my other uh, like my other co-founders uh, in some other event. So basically, after I I I, I felt like oh, you know like uh, making one website for every group of farmer for every commodity that they're selling is actually very frustrating. Um, but luckily, you know, like I, I crossed path with uh, with my co-founders and and um, they were actually working on like a website to do to do the purchasing from the wet market basically. And I said, okay, why don't you just go directly to, to the farmers? And um, they said, yeah, that's a great idea. And then like um, we, we were brainstorming and then after that, that's how uh, basically Tani Hub uh, got established. So we, we, we wanted to make like a, a marketplace for the farmers uh, to upload their, their goods and then like for other for businesses and and also individuals to see like what's in harvest right now and and what can you know they buy directly from the farmers okay and so now you have this you, you've met these co-founders you got the idea for the marketplace and you've built the marketplace uh, infrastructure out right now how did you go about getting these um, farmers to trust you to to sign up and i'm sure there were some tech adoption issues uh, with this as well. So in the, those early stages, what was that like? <laughs> yeah, so that was actually the, the most challenging part because, you know, okay, getting the farmers on board on this marketplace was was one thing. And then also getting the, the customers was also another thing. So what made it really challenging was uh, in a marketplace model is these farmers, first of all, they harvest in tons. Okay. And uh, when they harvest, um, you know, they want everything to be sold. Meanwhile, the, the buyers, the, either they're B2B or, or B2C, they, they, only, they want to buy in kilograms and um, they want 
and the farmers, you know, when they harvest, they want to sell uh, all grades. So they have grade A, grade B, grade C, and, and under grade or grade D and below. Um, these grades are, are defined by their size, uh, um, like their color, um, their texture, everything. Um, meanwhile, like the buyers, sometimes they specifically want, okay, I want 100 kilograms of only grade A. Or, you know, like um, there, are, there are buyers that want, uh, okay, I, I want um, like one ton, but I want the, like the lower grades um, that are edible because I want to make jam because uh, I don't care about like beautiful fruits and I just want, you know, as cheap as possible, but still at a good quality. So matching, matching the quantity was a issue and then there was a quality uh, matching issue. And then the last thing was um, timing. So the farmers, they harvest uh, and then like uh, they, they expect that, you know, through this marketplace, it could be sold immediately. Meanwhile, like buyers, they, they you know, they, they come and, 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 and go like, uh, and, and it's not predictable, right? So sometimes they, they, the farmers complain just, hey, you know, like you, you know, we already uh, uploaded, uh, you know, the pictures, we put the information, but then, you know, like the buyers didn't come. So you know, we, we figured that, okay, actually now the marketplace model, like, uh, like, like Tokopedia, Bukalapa, like that is, is not possible for this sector. The most innovative companies in the world expand their businesses at some point. Coca-Cola started out as a soda maker, but grew their business once they saw themselves as a beverage company selling water, sports drinks, and juices in addition to the iconic soda. Uber started out as a black car service, then expanded into taxis, electronic scooters, and food delivery. Tanny Hub originally wanted to be just a marketplace for farmers, but quickly discovered a hands-off approach would not work for the farming community. The team quickly iterated their original model to meet farmers' needs and very quickly built out two new business units within Tanny Hub. Aka explains how Tanny Hub had to provide more support for farmers develop its own lending platform with a unique credit system, and why seeds were key to mitigating Tanny Hub's financial risk. We had to basically be the enabler. Uh, there, there must be an enabler to, to help um, you know, the farmers uh, get certainty of market and also for the buyers to basically have the flexibility to buy uh, uh, with a purchasing plan or with whenever they wanted to buy. So we kind of changed the business model and that's when um, our last co-founder came in, uh, Ivan. So he, he basically had the experience uh, handling a lot of logistics and also experience in the uh, modern retail or the supermarket kind of industry. So he said that maybe let's change the, the, the model. Like we actually become the aggregator of both sides. So we buy from the farmers as well as we sell uh, to the customers too. And by buying with the farm, uh, buying everything from the farmer, uh, then we can gain more trust from them because um, you know these farmers uh, now they know for sure uh, there's a there's an off taker, not not just some platform that promises to be an off taker, but then like there there might or might not be a customer um, like going on on that uh, on that site. So so that's how we kind of made a, a, a small pivot on in our business model so um, from the marketplace we become like the, the e like e-commerce where we actually buy from uh, from the farmers and also uh, sell to the customers so, so we do like the matchmaking you become the single 
buyer, right? So you sit in the middle of this, this marketplace and you buy like all the tomatoes from all of the, the farmers. So they're, yeah. get, they're getting their money. They're happy. They're going to come back to you. Now you're able to distribute all of these tomatoes. You're able to um, classify all of the grades of the tomatoes a little bit easier because you now control all of it. And then you're able to divide and sell to all of the different people who, who want it. Is that kind of how it evolved? Yes, uh, exactly. So um, there, yeah, we had to be like the enabler, like the aggregator for the farmers and the customers so that basically we wanted uh, the farmers to have certainty of market. They needed a certainty of market and uh, we needed to basically be specific on like the, uh, for example, like the, the quantity as well as the trading terms uh, with the B2B uh, and B2C customers, because the B2B customers that that were, you know, like basically buying from uh, buying from these farmers are like supermarkets, food processing industries, uh, Horeca, hotel restaurant caterings. So these guys have different um, kind of quality uh, requirements, uh, frequency of delivery, as well as uh, trading terms. So trading terms is like, uh, for example, for the supermarkets, um, okay, they, they'll buy at, um, you know, what price, but then their payment would be like 30 days uh, or 45 days. Uh, for, for restaurants, it could be like seven to uh, 14 days. So, you know, they they prefer to deal just with one entity uh, to, buy, to kind of procure uh, different uh, fruits and vegetables and, and, and meats rather than like uh, dealing with um, many individual uh, farmers where that was, you know, initially like the, the marketplace model. So that's why they wanted to just, okay, can I just like open Taniha, like one platform, uh, the Taniha platform, then like just procure everything and also uh, like deal uh, like on our trading terms. Uh, just with one entity instead of like dealing with so many uh, farmers uh, and like every farmer wants different payment uh, timings you know that some are okay with like 14 days mm -hmm. so that's how you got the, the the buyers onto the platform is because beforehand if they had to go to like three four five maybe more different middlemen to buy all of the products that they needed for their store their um, restaurant and you just simplified that into one PIC. Yes, exactly. Um, so this sounds great for both the farmers and then like the hotels, restaurants, uh, grocery stores, etc. But it seems very risky for for you. So like, how do you got, how did you guys approach that, or how did you mitigate risk? Uh, or did you just know that you had, you knew the supply was so great that the there was little risk of fulfilling the supply demand? Okay, so yeah, this is why the agri uh, sector is actually not sexy at all. And, and, it, and it's, you know, people freak out because every time I, I, I talk to someone about like what I'm doing, um, they all like have, this uh, comment, the same comment. So even even the founder of Meituan. Um, so last year I met him and uh, we we had a talk, um, uh, Wang Xing. So he said 
uh, when I'll say, okay, okay, like tell me your business model. And I said like, oh, this is what we do. We, we aggregate from farmers and we are great buyers and we actually do the fulfillment ourselves. And he said, wow, that's a very capital intensive business. Uh, it, it sounds very tough. So, <laughs> and it's actually true that uh, it's, it's very tough and that's why no one wants to actually do it. But if no one's uh, doing it, you know, who's gonna be the one basically um, helping these farmers and also basically helping um, on, on the supply chain uh, problem that, that this country actually has. So, you know, you know that um, almost 50% of like the food uh, produced by the farmers actually go to waste because of, um, you know, uh, not proper handling and also inefficiency and, you know, they, uh, on, on like the selling side. So that's why, you know, what, what, we're, what we wanted to really do is uh, help these farmers, help reduce uh, food waste. And that's why, you know, even though it's unsexy, it's very capital intensive, but we, we knew that there was a, a good opportunity there and, and, and a good impact that we can make. And that's why, you know, uh, you know, we just kept going on, basically. So you, you've built this core business, this marketplace, and it's very, very difficult. Um, but you, you've developed two other business lines, which are very logical, you know, based on the, the needs of the farmers and, and the learnings that you've had from the marketplace. But like, how did that, like, how did you decide, hey, we need to start this peer-to-peer -peer lending platform. Hey, we need to start, uh, you know, a logistics arm, right? Because there are already peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms that you could have potentially partnered with. There are a bunch of, you know, logistic uh, companies around. So, like, why did you decide that? Hey, these are things that we need to build internally. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question, and also like um, a lot of people have been asking us uh, the same thing, like why why would you um, you know, Tiny Hub was still small. Why are you like, uh, you know, not concentrating and just developing Tiny Hub alone? Why do you have to uh, build like a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, platform and also um, like a logistics uh, and supply chain platform too? So the reason is um, is like this. So the agriculture sector is quite unique. The farmers that we had to deal with, the group of farmers. At the beginning, you know, we we can basically deal with them. They they they'll give us like uh, one ton or five hundred kilograms, uh, and then like we, uh, for us, okay, that that's great. You know, like um, then we we try to uh, sell it to other customers, but as you know, more and more customers uh, uh, got on board, and more and more custom, you know, most of more customers started trusting us and increasing their orders um, through Tani Hub. Uh, we had a supply uh, problem and um, we asked the farmers, especially the ones that, that were producing like uh, uh, better quality uh, goods and also they're more disciplined on the timing and also the delivery. We asked them, okay, could you, could you like, uh, I, I see like your farms, like you have a three hectare farm or like, a, like your, your farm's quite productive, like, but why are you just supplying 500 kilograms to us uh, every month and then uh, why don't you like supply more and then the farmer said oh uh, Maseka I'm, I'm sorry like uh, I I got money from you know I got my capital basically from this middleman so I have to sell at least um, five 
five to six tons uh, per month to this middleman to kind of repay my debt and um, and he'll get uh, and and you know the rest the remaining then I can uh, sell to uh, you guys and and basically I ask him like okay so uh, like if we fund you uh, on your um, cultivation like would you be able to to sell 100% to us and then he said yeah sure so we we try to link him up uh, link up the group with uh, banks um, and also you know other financial institutions that, that might do the funding but then you know they'd ask for collateral uh, or their, their process was too long uh, and you know we waited for like uh, four months to get approval uh, on the loan from the bank and it, it was actually uh, the amount of, of, of proof was not was only like uh, twenty percent of what we requested, so it was very disappointing. Uh, however, you know, like at that time, peer-to-peer -peer lending was was also booming. I asked other peer-to-peer -peer lending, but they all said, "Oh, you know, agriculture sector is too is too risky, and, and like I don't trust your model. You know, you're you're still a small player." So you know, I I, I just said like, "Okay, you know, uh, what the hell? You know, like just uh, just." make our own peer-to-peer uh, -peer platform so that's how tani fund got established and that's why you know for us running our own peer-to-peer -peer, we can actually uh fundraise faster for the farmers so within within every every for every project that we uh basically upload uh, on our platform within two or three days it's already fully funded so the farmers actually get the money faster they don't need to wait for months to get their money and uh, we kind of secured our supply side wow so that that makes a lot of sense that why you would do that so who are the people that are um lending right is it just like people like me who 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 want to invest uh get get some kind of interest in returns and this is this is one way that i can invest my money yes yes uh, mostly um, during the first two years, 100% um, of uh, the lenders were individuals. So most of them were actually uh, friends and families first, and then, then they started referring uh, their friends and families. So mostly it was individual um, lenders. Then we, you know, we, we ran into a problem where we had more projects to fund uh, and, and you know, not many lenders. So we started working, uh, trying to basically approaching uh, banks and other um, funding institutions, um, and also companies that have a CSR program. Um, so we we try to approach them, and and now the majority of our lenders are actually these institutions. So I would say like um, like seventy percent uh, is institution and thirty percent is um, individuals right now. So that's how you were able to scale up the 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 peer-to-peer -peer lending portion of it because there was only a limited amount of interest, but your your uh, interest from the investors, but you had a, a larger interest from the the farmers who needed this capital. So it, it was yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, first of all, I think uh, it, it's it's not that we had very little interest on the on the like lender side from the individuals. It's just that um, individuals, uh, they, they, they require more return <laughs> because there's a lot of all these other 
peer-to-peer -peer platforms that are doing uh, consumption loans. Um, you know, they, they basically charge uh, almost 1% uh, per day to the borrower, right? So, um, like, so, you know, logically, they can uh, give higher returns to the lenders. And meanwhile, for us, it's, uh, these are like farmers, we, we try not to charge um, like too much to them. So like giving a 15% um, you know, per annum return to these lenders uh, at that time was not, you know, they, not that sexy compared to like getting 20 to 24% uh, per annum uh, on other platforms. However, for the institutions, for banks, you know, they would, they would be, they would be actually happy with getting uh, 10 to uh, 12%. So that's why, you know, like we had a lot of interest from the banks, and also um, we're actually we we got a lot of um, advantage since we're in the agri sector, and the government's been really you know supporting the sector and put and you know the president himself has been pushing the state-owned banks to kind of like um, focus a lot on the agri side, agri and maritime. So, you know, they, they've been, they've been like really, you know, uh, coming to us and then like, okay, you know, like I'll, uh, let's, let's, you know, do channeling for like uh, 300 billion rupiah or something like that. So it's actually quite, there's quite a lot of funding out there for um, the agri side. So that's why Tani Fund's business has been uh, growing quite significantly. Yeah, that's fascinating that uh, the economics you're talking about for personal peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending. Yeah, I, I'm familiar. I, I've invested in some of the uh, other ones and it's like they just get really, really high returns that I don't understand, but it makes sense because your focus is obviously you have financial incentives, but your your core focus on in any of these is to help the farmers. And so high high interest return rates is not doesn't align with that. So how do you handle the, uh, you said that these farmers don't have to put up collateral, right? They don't have traditional credit scores. Uh, and you said that you're kind of developing your own internal. So like, how are you managing that? So that, cause again, there as great as all of this sounds, there is still risk <clears throat> involved uh, and you have to manage it somehow. So how have you guys been solving this problem? Um, yes. So basically, for Tani Fund, uh, we only fund the farmers that are already trading on the Tani Hub platform. So if these farmers are new, if these farmers, you know, have never supplied through Tani Hub, um, then you know, it's for us, we, you know, we'll we'll decline them uh, unless um, they are actually referred by one of our buyers, for example. Um, let's say like this, this uh, producer of uh, sambal, okay, if they have their own kind of uh, group of uh, farmers that, that supply the, the chabe, you know, like the, the chili peppers and the, and the uh, scallop um, to them. So, you know, uh, we, we actually can fund them, uh, but, uh, you know, otherwise, like we have to have, we have to like mandate all these uh, all these farmers to supply to Tani Hub first, and then we can kind of give them funding. You know, why we have to ask them, why only Tani Hub farmers we fund is because simple, they don't have collateral. So we, you know, we have a high risk. Uh, this is a, a unsecured loan, basically. Um, so the only way to secure this kind of loan is to see their track record, because these farmers don't have bank accounts 
these farmers don't have uh, like a bank credit history. So the only, we have to make our own kind of uh, scoring model, you know, like a credit scoring way by actually checking uh, how, is, how is their performance on the supply side. So yeah, that's, that's kind of our risk mitigation uh, part. And um, another risk mitigation uh, method that we do is actually we try to help um, you know, these farmers get access to like the good seed producers, the input producers, because right now, most of these farmers, um, they buy from their local uh, input um, uh, kind of store. And these inputs are, you know, not, not always at the best quality. And if, even if these stores have, um, it's called tokotani, by the way. Yeah, if these tokotanis um, have uh, like good quality inputs, like seeds, they're usually marked up uh, like at, at five to six times um, the, uh, the main distributor price. But since Tani Hub Group actually has a, like, uh, has a good deal uh, with these input producers um, and these distributors, so we actually can, can give it at a really uh, cheaper price and we sell it to these farmers. And, you know, these farmers um, buy it cheaper and that helps them also reduce um, uh, not only like the production costs, but also help reduce the risk of having uh, uh, like low quality um, harvest. And, you know, low quality harvest means not just the quality of the harvest, like um, if it's beautiful or big or juicy or something like that. No, but also uh, low quality means like uh, there's, it's risky. So, you know, uh, it, it's um, prone to easily getting uh, damaged by pests and all that. So that reduces the risk of um, basically a, a crop failure um, uh, quite significantly. And um, right now we're also developing, um, you know, more on the, more on the uh, like weather for, uh, forecasting model for, for uh, farmers so that they know when is the right timing to uh, start planting. Uh, so, you know, by the time they plant, there's rain, so it germinates. Um, and also the, uh, the pest kind of season uh, prediction. So we, you know, we're still working on that, but, um, but in the meantime, I think um, just, just having uh, like the, the, the database and, and, and the, create the history of their transaction, as well as providing the high quality inputs. And also, oh, by the way, we also have agronomists that help them uh, improve their ways of actually doing the cultivation. So this also reduces the risk of uh, the farmer underperforming or having a crop failure or two. So, uh, so far, these are like the, the three that we're working on. Um, we're still developing the new, you know, the, the more kind of uh, techie AI based uh, forecasting um, kind of uh, thing like right now, but it'll, it'll take a little bit of uh, time. Probably it's ready by the end of this year or probably next year. Problem solving is a core skill that every entrepreneur must master. If you're not solving someone's problem, you're just making more work for yourself. It's been clear that Eka and his team are meticulous when they're looking at the problems of the farmers and how they can solve them. We close our conversation discussing how Tanny Hub solves problems and what the future holds for this rising giant in the farming industry. Basically everything that we 
develop right now is um, it, it comes from like the, the problem that that shows up. So so it's never it's never like we try to think okay this might be nice and then like uh, let's make it and then I see if there's any traction. So you know even Tani Hub itself is uh, actually you know we started it uh, without any intention to actually be startup founders. It was more giving giving this. Uh, kind of solution to help ease the farmers uh, without actually thinking of any financial gains for ourselves. Um, yeah, so so that's uh, probably like the answer for the uh, first question. And uh, second on the middlemen. So I have to explain also there are two different types of middlemen. There are one one middle uh, one type of the middlemen is actually the good middlemen, and these middlemen are usually farmers too. So these are usually the farmers that are more um, capable. They, they, they're better uh, in, in, they're smarter. And so they, they know how to uh, sell their produce or they already have uh, buyers um, that already are their regular, um, basically uh, off takers. And because they're trusted and they have good products uh, and they, they also um, have a lot of no good knowledge uh, on the production side. So a lot of, a lot of orders come through these, um, these farmers and these farmers uh, probably they don't have much land. So they, they supply whatever they can produce, but also they manage to, they aggregate from other farmers uh, around their neighborhood. So they become kind of like a, a aggregator slash middleman slash farmer. And these are actually the ones that we like because you know uh, having one team member for every kampong or every village is actually very costly. It's better to just have, you know, to manage um, uh, a few uh, leaders of the group of farmers that, that are actually capable and they can lead their team and their kind of team of farmers and also they can, they're reliable on uh, supplying. Uh, this would be more efficient. Um, the second part of, uh, the second kind of type of middleman is the pure trader that only uh, takes advantage of the farmers. They, they see if there's a good opportunity to basically pressure the farmers, they'll do that. Uh, they, they control the, the wet market. Uh, they, they basically, are the, the kind of cartel mafia kind of uh, part. And this is the one that we try to eliminate. We, uh, so far, uh, for four years uh, running uh, Tanihub, uh, we actually, uh, yeah, we did bump into several um, cases where these middlemen, especially the ones um, managing the wet markets, they, we did have a lot of pushback from them, a lot of um, protests uh, from them. But you know, um, the farmers are always on our side. They always support us. So when you know, the funny thing is like one time uh, farmers uh, started boycotting uh, these middlemen because they were too um, objective of like tiny hub. So the farmers were okay if you know, yeah, they would supply to these middlemen, but also supply to tiny hub. But when these middlemen started you know, uh, saying bad things about Tiny Hub and also, um, you know, blocking us uh, from from meeting the farmers. The farmers actually uh, fought back <laughs> on our behalf. So actually, we, you know, um, after that, you know, the usually middlemen don't don't really, um, you know, make make such a big deal on this. Yeah. I mean, like they actually they know 
they know that uh, Tani Hub's there and they're like the farmers like us and they're, they're there too uh, because of good relationships with the farmers, um, you know, uh, since they've been around for, uh, for a really long time, but they really don't uh, bother us anymore because they know like, you know, uh, okay, the farmers will be pissed if, if they start um, making it a big deal with Tani Hub. That's, that's great that you've built this relationship with the farmers that they are, they're willing to fight on your behalf you're you know really valuable to them and i guess the entire ecosystem yeah you you guys are still relatively new uh you just raised uh a 17 million dollar round um but you know you've raised almost 30 million roughly uh in total but that's that's still very small compared to um you know the entire agricultural you know business uh, so like, what, what are your, you have these three business units, um, each of them work in tandem with one another. Uh, so what is the vision for, for Tani Hub of like in the next five to 10 years? So um, actually we've raised uh, in total already 44 million. So uh, on top of that 17, we've raised actually another uh, 15 and a half. And, uh, and also we've raised uh, another few uh, smaller uh, rounds uh, also, you know, just to include some strategic investors. Um, we are also closing our series B uh, very soon, uh, which, is, which is actually, um, you know, uh, we, we, I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> when, when we close our uh, series, but it's, it's gonna be in the next uh, three, three to four weeks. So like, you know, uh, for Tani Hubs, uh, like vision and, 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 and like what we want to be in the next uh, five to 10 years. So right now I would say like uh, we are in a phase where we're actually like a pilot project. So, cause you know, you know, why are we in a pilot project? Because actually Hub uh, has to have their own uh, facility has to be the one uh, basically building um, the warehouses uh, buying from the farmers and selling uh, by ourselves, um, and this is not much of a like a tech. You know, we we call ourselves agri tech, but I would say tech is only 10 percent, ten to twenty percent of like what we do right now. Uh, so why do you why do we call ourselves agri tech? Because in the next five to ten years, this is what we're trying to do. So we are trying to change our model into more of like um, a marketplace when, uh, but the market is just not ready right now. Uh, we need to um, kind of gradually build uh, our network with the farmers, build our uh, network with the buyers and also um, be a more, what's it called again? Um, like forecasting, uh, like improve our forecasting model. So we can, we can basically match the supply and demand more perfectly and based on their location. So uh, the funny thing is a lot of um, farmers, uh, for example, in Lembang, okay, Lembang is in Bandung, uh, in, in West Java area. So there's a lot of farmers in Lembang. They usually uh, sell their produce in Pasar, Charingin. And from Charingin, uh, a lot of restaurants in Lembang buy, uh, buy their fresh produce. So it, it's just going back and forth, you know? <laughs> and this is because just the farmers, they only know one place to, to sell. So 
what we want to be um, in the future is like we want to be able to basically be a marketplace where we connect the farmers directly with the producers uh, with the buyers um, so we connect the farmers with the buyers but then like we basically can connect them to the closest buyer and it doesn't have to go through our warehouse uh, but we do build like a mini warehouse uh, for the farmers so right now the farmers just harvest they they send it to uh, to our warehouse. We do the sorting, we do the cleaning and the packing, and then we send it out to the to the to the buy, uh, to the customers. So this is why I said it's a pilot project. But in the future, I want to shrink this uh, warehouse and put it near the farms, uh, actually at the farmers' place, uh, at the group of farmers' place. So these farmers actually will own their own warehouse. They will manage. Uh, they will do like all the cleaning, all the cutting, all the sorting, all the packing, and then we'll send it directly to the customers. We, uh, but using our platform to, to see like which customers do they need to send um, uh, these produce. And of course, like we have to, um, you know, build the network, build uh, um, the, the forecasting of the supply and demand so that we can match it. So there's no food, uh, no produce that goes to waste. And uh, yeah, basically we are just managing uh, the platform alone and not having our own warehouse. Essentially what you guys are focusing on is basically trying to eliminate as many inefficiencies as possible and making life easier and more financially stable and lucrative for these these farmers. And so you're just in the very, very early stages uh, of all of this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's still still an early stage. It's still like our quote unquote kind of pilot project right now. I love it. I love everything that you've been you've been talking about because it is a very like purpose driven mission. And I think that's that's a really strong uh, and determining factor for a lot of startups. You know, like you said, it's not about you're in it for the money. You you this all kind of came from a place of you want to make an impact uh, on on the country. Thank you so much for the time today. It's been wonderful learning about Tanny Hub. Can you uh, let everyone know where they can find you and Tanny Hub online? Yeah, sure. Um, I, they can just uh, drop me an email at pamitra.tannyhub.com uh, or they can just uh, DM me on my Instagram, uh, Eka Pamitra. Thank you, Eka. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Side Door Podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning about farming in Indonesia as much as I did. Please take a moment to share this episode or rate the podcast on your favorite podcast player. I've got more great Indonesian entrepreneur stories coming up. I can't wait to share them with you. Until next time, stay curious.